Hey, welcome to Conversations with my dear friend, Jeff Conway. My name is Susan. This is A Different Kind of Walk. Hello. Hello. So I'm just going to start. I, I thought I had a different way that I was going to say something to you, but I'm just going to start. So Toma, my roommate from college, sent me the book, She's Not There, which was my first experience of reading about somebody going through transition. You're talking about gender transition? Yes, because I think I'd said to him, I'm really glad I'm a crippled pastor right now because I don't think I could handle all the issues that are going on out there at the same time and so he mailed that book to me so she's not there we're forgetting the author uh of the book right now jennifer finney boylan yeah so i mean that was kind of my first touch with the topic i never had anybody in the four churches i served come to me with questions issues about that um you 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 know i live in the gray i'm not a black and white but i i'm still sitting on that razor fence uh you know all the back and forth issues that kim probably went through in those three months of struggle that she talked about so i guess i'm still in that place I know we have people that would have much more conservative views that would just say wrong period. And we would have people listening to us and go, um, what's the big deal? That was a nice conversation. So the whole spectrum is there. And I just encourage people to listen and to ask questions. I think the struggle that I'm still going through is, I mean, Kim is just amazing, and I don't know if I could be that amazing if Patty sat me down after 37 years of marriage and said, hey, guess what? (laughs) I put myself in that place, and that's that's a huge struggle. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, So you're the youngster. How do I deal with that? Yeah, so... I have a good amount of friends who are in the LGBTQ community in one way or another. And I have a decent amount of friends who are spouses of people who have transitioned. And specifically with transgender identity, I don't always feel like I get it. Because, you know, like I can rationally make arguments against it, but, and so can they, right? Even, even people I know who have transitioned, they can, can give you all of those arguments and have wrestled with all of them themselves, trying to like either push it down, squash it, make it go away because they're smart enough to, to know that logically, societally, this is not going to go well. Um, so you can think rationally about that, and yet it doesn't make it go away. 
it doesn't make the discomfort, the body dysmorphia, the just all of that, it doesn't make it go away. And I guess, can I jump in there a second? Because that was kind of new to me, body dysmorphia. I've heard that in the bulimia anorexic circle Mm -hmm. of what people do with their bodies there. I hadn't heard that in a, in a transgender kind of community. Yeah. So, and I'm, I'm actually kind of glad you brought it up because what I was going to get to was I don't understand this in terms of gender. I've never felt uncomfortable with my assigned gender, but I do have body dysmorphic disorder. So I am one of those people who looks in the mirror and sees stuff that's not there. I'm an average sized person. I'm 5'7". I wear medium sized pants. In fact, my upper body does fine with extra small shirts sometimes. Logically, I know that I am normal, even small. I know that. But when I look in the mirror... You know, you can search for the picture on the internet of the super skinny girl who's looking in the mirror and sees an obese person. Mm. Like, I have that. And it's it's actually more related to obsessive compulsive disorder than anorexia. I don't have an eating disorder. I have an obsession. And it's never going to go away. I've had it since I was in elementary school. And if it wasn't cost prohibitive and it wasn't morally feels like a waste of money to do this when there are people who are starving. If that, if none of those things were an issue, I would pay the money to go have surgeries to try and make the body dysmorphic disorder go away. Like I would do that. And, and so that's the only thing that I have to relate it to. And if that's the thing that I have to relate it to, I get it. Um, Right. I was going to say that's pretty big. You are a tiny person, uh, not in personality, not in gifts, uh, but in size. So, yeah, that's interesting. And and I, I didn't know that that was going on. Mm-hmm. And I was completely clueless to that. And so you don't want to hear have people i imagine say how could you ever think that that's not true you're not a big person at all um do you want to go get some ice cream uh, <laughs> conversation I, I mean you've probably heard that a million times that's not helpful to you i imagine yeah well i mean it really goes back to the like no logically i know that logically in my mind I I can understand, and if I look around the room, and if I compare myself to other people, which you try so hard not to do, I I know logically that that is the case. Factually, that is the case, but it it doesn't do anything. It doesn't change anything. Example: I just started this year. I just started a ballet class because I hate exercising. And I figured if I took a class and people expected me to be there, I would actually do something. And my husband keeps harassing me to not just sit and work all day. So, so I'm doing that. But when you take a ballet class, it's in front of a ton of mirrors. And without sounding like a horrible jerk, aside from the teacher, I'm the smallest person in there. But I almost quit the class because 
I could not stop obsessing over how disgusting my thighs looked to me. I couldn't stop being completely mortified and it was ruining the class for me. So have you made the change? What ended up happening is when I find the right clothes that hide that particular area of my body, hide it, cover it up, flatter it, make it make it so that I can ignore it or not see it. Then everything's fine and I'm completely confident and every and and I can have a great time. So even though I'm the only person who's not just wearing yoga pants and a t-shirt, I have to wear a like a dress. Um, Thank that, you, by the way. I don't think that should be worn outside of the ballet room anyway. <laughs> yoga <laughs> pants? <laughs> All that stuff. It's like, what? Tom and I were just talking about that yesterday. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm the only one in the class who wears a dress that like, goes all the way down to my knees but now i can i can participate i can fully participate i can feel completely normal i can ignore it and and enjoy it and enjoy it i'm having a great time so i am already anxious about the recital because i'm not sure i will get to choose the outfits and if if we have to wear like pants if we have to if i can't wear a dress um I will probably have a panic attack and not be able to do it, which, which sucks. Like that, that is actually, it does actually keep you from doing the things you want in life. So you could also be one of the rats in the nutcracker. There you go. The big costume on, but I, I have somebody, you know, at Paoli. Okay. Started taking ballet and the panic level for the first recital was off the chart yeah i wasn't sure if she was gonna go okay and i'm really glad she did so let me share her name with you maybe after we're done talking yeah and i mean like i'm actually preaching this weekend i have zero issue being up in front of people i don't get stage fright that's not a thing for me but i have to be able to control what i'm wearing like i could never i've thought about this uh, most of my life, I can I could never have a job where I had to wear a particular uniform that was, in my mind, unflattering. I I, I like physically could not do it, yeah. which is ridiculous. Like I know that's ridiculous. So yeah. what do you want me to do as your friend? What's helpful in your situation? And how do we translate that to this? Yeah. So the difference is that unless I tell someone, no one would know for me. Whereas if you are physically transitioning from one gender to another, people can usually tell. And that... Except me. <laughs> unless you're Jeff. Um, <laughs> uh, so that's, so that's harder. The only people who know about this for me are people that I tell and people that I've trusted and, and whatever. In my case, there's nothing that other people can do. So um, I know now 
that that's an issue for you. So you would rather not have me talk about how small you are, possibly. Yeah. Uh, now- we won't talk about how small you are, but I mean, you know, it's not something that comes up in everyday conversation when we're talking, but. Honestly, I just want you to treat me like you normally do. It's it's nice that you know about it. That brings us, us closer, okay. that you know about it and you're still my friend. But it would be helpful if we just go about our normal lives and we never really talk about it because I'm just a normal person and it doesn't actually change anything in our relationship. Okay. Uh, so okay. I, I can imagine if you are transgender i'm not sure you want everyone to constantly be bringing it up (laughs) like and if you're passing then you're passing and no one should bring it up if you're not passing i don't know i feel like it's embarrassing that people bring it up um how are you doing an open-ended question that they get to then control where the conversation goes well, it depends. I think I think any of us would normally ask any friend, hey, how are you? And that just means general in life. How are you doing? But if you use a particular tone, people are going to know that you're like, how are you on the transgender topic? And they'll be like, oh, do we have to talk about this? <laughs> you know, um, I guess the thing that I've said, depression is really common after heart surgery. Mm-hmm. Because once you make it through, you will realize what a trauma it was, not just the pain that you fought through, but that, oh, they stopped my heart. That's how I live. And they put it on a machine, blah, blah, blah. So it's really common about a month after surgery, particularly for men, to have depression. So I know that. So with those people, I'll say, how's your soul doing today? Or how's your heart doing today? And they know I'm letting them talk about, they just want to share how they're feeling physically that day, or because I'm a jerk that's the pastor on the side of their bed that's told them, I want to prepare you. This happens to some people, not everybody, but I want you to be ready. So that I've been the one that's brought it up. So they know, I know that topic. So when I'm asking, how's your soul? How's your heart? They can either decide to answer physical stuff or go to the emotional stuff if they want to. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I feel like the how's your soul is great because yeah, then you can, you can specifically go into spiritual stuff if you want to, and you can also go into how that affects the rest of your life and how the rest of your life is affecting that if you want to, um, depending on how close your relationship is with that person. If I, I feel like some of this also depends on just how close you are to this person. If it's your sibling and you have a really close trusting relationship and they told you that they were having like bottom surgery or top surgery or whatever, and then you run into them and you're like, Hey, how's like, how did that go? I think you can ask that because you have that relationship. But 
if you just learn through the grapevine that somebody had bottom surgery, I'm not sure you should go up to them and be like, hey, <laughs> how how was that? <laughs> Unless they're yeah. offered, you know? <laughs> right. Right. I think in the book Toma gave me, it talks about the percentage of people that are born where the parents have to make a decision right then. Yeah. No, it's so knowing knowing that that's out there, knowing that that happens takes away the black and white line for me. Right. Of here's this line, this is right, this is wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think I find it really fascinating that we do in the womb, we do start out as nothing in particular. And we have the same mush. We have this particular stuff, these these raw materials. Um, and and so the the things that become my husband's testicles are the same things that become my ovaries. And the thing the amount of skin that produces his penis is the amount of skin that produces my vaginal canal. And the, the, like the skin that goes around his scrotum is the thing that becomes my uterus. Like we all have the same raw materials. Um, In gestation, when does that typically divide? It's between seven and 12 weeks. So still fairly early. But as a mom, you have to go through the whole first trimester not knowing. And usually doctors actually wait a few weeks even past that to do the ultrasound and say for sure, yes, it's a boy or yes, it's a girl. Because during a lot of that time, the development looks similar either way. That's what happens when people are like, oh, you're going to have a girl. And then it turns out that it's a boy um, or vice versa. But all of our raw materials are the same at some point. And that's encouraging, I guess. My psalm this week in my prayer book that I go through is Psalm 139, which is uh, knit in our mother's womb. God is loving. God is there as we're being knit together in our mother's womb. And that includes, even though it's a small percentage, 0.05% of ambiguous God is present in the knitting of that child also, I believe. I think in general, my thought is that if there's a person in front of you, you deal with that person and you deal with that person as a person like anyone else. It gets really complicated and difficult and hurtful when we have to start talking about like, laws and legislation and things like that. It gets very sticky very quickly. But yep. as far as... Or moral issues, it's just, I I go crazy that people try to politicize them. That that drives me absolutely crazy. Yeah. So moral issues should be dealt with in the moral realm, not the political realm. I agree with you. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> um, you don't agree with anything else I've said? I agree with a lot of other things you said, but I, I'm not always used to hearing people old people. Are, no, I didn't say old people. I'm not used to hearing people who are older than me, people who are in generations above me, say that, that we should not necessarily legislate those sorts of things. So I, old people 
are not all. <laughs> you know, you can add in here by saying it's illegal to put the Beatles on our podcast, but I'm excited that there's a song about me. Will you still need me? Will you still feed me? When I'm 64. Nice. So, um, I still consider myself to be conservative theologically. Um, so that's why what I probably wouldn't have struggled with 30 years ago, I would have just said, well, that's not right. Mm -hmm. And kind of moved on. I'm, I try to listen more and I'm open more and I'm really glad you pushed me out of my comfort zone. And we had that conversation. And what a beautiful friend you have. I know. Kim is so wonderful. I'm so glad you got to meet her. And yeah, just thank you for being willing to listen to a topic that was not comfortable and not easy. And I think that means the world to people when they get to share their stories and when other people are willing to really hear them. Mm. Thanks for joining us for A Different Kind of Walk. Until next time, live well. Mm.